Kids, you are dismissed to go to church, children's church in the back. Um, Owen mentioned earlier that our live stream is down today, so there's a few of us running around stressing out about trying to figure out how we're going to fix that problem and resolve that problem. And uh, after I finally got the chance to slow down and sing some songs, I realized that maybe that might be the most appropriate thing to happen today. But not because we don't love the live stream, not because live stream is not a great tool, but because today's sermon is really an in-house discussion. Uh, as we've been walking through the Psalms, we've noticed there's been a pattern. A lot of these Psalms are prayers to God. It's talking, teaching us about who God is, and it's teaching us about who we are. But today's Psalm is a little bit different. It's one of the very rare Psalms that's not necessarily a prayer to God. It really doesn't read like a prayer. It's certainly a worship song to some degree, but first and foremost, it reads like a love letter. A love letter to the church. And so today's sermon is really, in a lot of ways, an in-house discussion. Now, if you're here today and you're visiting, that doesn't mean that you should just tune out and not pay attention. I think today might be one of the best days that you could have come to visit. Because even though we're going to have an in-house discussion, you're going to get to hear about who we are as a church, what we stand for, and why we exist. This is a topic I'm super passionate about, uh, that I care a lot about, and I think you will find you're going to be really passionate about as well. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up Psalm chapter 122. Psalm chapter 122. That's where we're going to be today. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read it. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We'll have the words up on the screen. Psalm chapter 122 reads this way. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secured with love. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will see. Father, we're grateful to be in your house today, to be gathered together as the church. Father, I pray that we dive into your word, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, and where we might be correcting you correct us. Father, I pray that all that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, God, that I might be you would increase, that we would know you more and love you more deeply, as a result of reading your heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now I want to, I want to say a couple things uh, to preface before we really dive super heavy into this song. The first thing is, is I told you that this song read like a love letter to church, and then I read it to you, and you might have noticed the word church never once appears in the song. So why on earth would I say that? And the answer is uh, fairly simple, but a little bit complex at the same time. The answer is, this psalm is all about Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a city, and specifically it was the city that housed the temple, the center of worship for the Jewish people. And in the Old Testament, when you read through it, we'll read, you'll read about Israel, you'll read about Jerusalem, you'll read about the temple. And when we go to apply those texts as Christians, 
We have to understand what we're reading. And the Bible can talk about those things in a few different ways. It can talk about them geographically. Sometimes a person's just simply taking a trip up to Jerusalem, and that's all that it really means. It's just a geographical location that they're moving to. And that's all that it really means, and that's all we should read into it. Sometimes it's talking about Israel or Jerusalem politically. It's talking about the kings and the authorities and the people who are ruling over it. It's a political thing. We talked about that a little bit last week. But sometimes it's talking about these cities or this nation spiritually. See, Jerusalem and Israel as a whole was God's chosen people, his chosen nation. And Jerusalem specifically was the center of worship for the Jewish people. Now, we don't take pilgrimages anymore. It is not a requirement of our faith that at some point we travel up to Jerusalem. It is not an expectation that we have from you. We don't have to pilgrimage anywhere. Because our center of worship is no longer a temple in Jerusalem. It's the church here. And so that's why I say this is a love letter to the church. It's because as Christians, when we read Jerusalem in this passage, we really should be reading church. This group right here, this time where we get together and we worship and we praise God. So this psalm is going to push us and challenge us as a church body. Now let me say, I love the church. Like, I love the capital C church, the global church, the worldwide church, and I love this church specifically. I grew up going to church. I've been in church since they would let me in the door. I mean, I've been in church my entire life. I've actually dedicated my life to the church because I love it so much and it's been so transformational for me. And so I read a passage like this as a pastor and as somebody who's been going to the church my entire life, and if I'm just honest with you, it's challenging to me. It's a challenging passage because this, this text presents us the church as it should be and the church as it could be. And that means that as we read through it, it's going to challenge us in some ways and it's going to push us in some ways, but in other ways it's going to encourage us. It's going to remind us of what God has put us here for and why we exist. And so I'm just going to tell you that up front, it's going to be a challenging sermon, and I hope it's also an encouraging sermon. And we're going to just dive right into it, starting in verse 1. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, there are days where I have honestly said that, and truth be told, for a while now, I can say this pretty much every single Sunday. There were days in my life where I could not honestly quote that verse to you. Uh, I remember in elementary school, my parents would come and wake me up, and they'd say, Tyler, it's time to go to church. And I would come up with every excuse in the book as to why we did not need to go to church that day. We were late the night before. We already heard the sermon last week. It can't be that different. You know, like I was tired. I was crabby. I didn't want to go to church. And I had a number of excuses. And some of them were a little bit more legitimate, and some of them were not as legitimate, you know? I thought church was boring, or I didn't think I necessarily needed, or I already knew God, so what's the point of going again? You know, we don't have to go every single week. And I had all of these number of excuses, and for a long time, if I'm honest with you, I blamed the church I was going to. I wasn't glad to go to church because the church wasn't meeting my needs. And there's a lot of things we can blame on the church. We can blame uh, the music. We can blame the uh, pastor. You know, sometimes those guys are really annoying. I know from personal experience, and so um, we can blame a number of things. We don't like the color of the walls. Um, sorry, we just changed that, so that's not changing again anytime soon. Uh, we can blame a number of things, but if I'm honest with you, I got to learn that my excuses were just that. They were excuses. 
Because at one point, my family and I switched churches, and the new church had new colored walls, they had new programming, it was fun, it was exciting to go there, and for a few months, I woke up every Sunday, ready to go to church, excited to go to church, but then, you know, I stayed up too late one night, and I woke up, and I didn't want to go to church again. And there was another time when I wasn't glad to go to the house of the Lord, and I realized the problem wasn't with the church, the problem was with me. And so the psalmist pushes up against us right off the get-go and says, are you glad to go to the house of the Lord? Notice what the emphasis is here. The emphasis is that it's God's house. Are you excited to get to come here to worship God, to praise God, to learn about God? That is what we do here. That is the emphasis. And so that should be the thing that determines your joy. Now let me be honest here. Some of that is a personal thing. But on the other hand, again, I told you this is very much an in-house sermon. If you're a member here, I'm going to put some special weight on you today. Now, if you're a visitor or you just are a tender and you're not sure if you, you want to make Carol Church of Christ your church home yet, this doesn't apply to you. So you can kind of space out for this 10 seconds of concern. But if you're a member here, then there's some responsibility that gets laid on you. Notice how this is a group thing. It says, uh, I was glad when they said to me. This is a group of people. And so we are responsible not just for making ourselves glad to but we're responsible for helping other people be glad to come here. Are you making us a welcoming, exciting environment for other people to be? Are you committed to not just coming into the church and sitting in a chair, but to greeting those around you, to engaging in fellowship and community with those around you? When you see somebody sitting by themselves, are you the one who goes and sits down next to them? Are you the one who's <coughs> serving and working within the church? Are you making not just yourself glad to come here, but others glad to come here? And that's how the psalmist starts. He just says, we need to be glad to come to the house of the Lord. And that responsibility partly weighs on you, but it also weighs on those who are members of the church. Are you making this welcoming and exciting place to go? Let's be glad when we go to church, because it's a good and exciting thing. He's going to build on this idea. He's not just going to leave us there. He's going to explain why church is good and why we should be glad to go there. He continues on. Verse 2. Uh, our feet have been standing within your gates of Jerusalem. This is just an exclamation. He's excited. He's gotten into the gates. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the church building. He's excited about it. He keeps going. He says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Now, this is kind of a weird phrase, because obviously we're not a city bound together, but that's not really the idea. The same phrase was used in the book of Exodus in describing building a tent. Now, I don't know if you've ever built a tent before, but it's not a particularly fun process all the time, because you've got all these different rods and these things that you've got to bend in a place of cloth that you've got to put over top, and it's all these individual pieces that you have to turn into one piece. And that's the picture that he's using to describe the church. We are a lot of individual pieces, but when we come together, we become one. In other words, there's an important sense of unity here. When we come into the church building, we are one body. In other words, that means that you're willing to put your own wants, your own self-interest, below the needs of others. Are we willing to do that as a church body? Are we willing to be one and to be united, to put aside silly conflict for the sake of each other's good? That's what he's going to say. That's his point here. We're built together as a city. He keeps going, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. And then he gives us two purpose statements. <clears throat> two purpose statements for why the church exists and why we gather. 
It's going to tell us why Sunday mornings matter. The first one is to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's the first thing that we do. Now, I've had this happen more than a few times, where uh, I'll be walking into the foyer afterwards or the lobby, whatever you want to call the outside area, and I'll overhear somebody's conversation, and they'll say something along the lines of, man, I just love the worship. The worship is my favorite part of Sunday morning. And then they'll turn around and they'll go, oh, pastor, I didn't know you were standing there. I shouldn't have said that in front of you. Like, they offended me um, because they like the worship over my sermon. And I just want to give you guys permission. You're not offending me when you say that. I really enjoy the worship. I love the worship worship, and, and that's because of this piece right here. One of the reasons we gather, one of the main purposes of our gathering is to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It's through our songs that we sing right off the get-go. That is one of the reasons we gather, and, and certainly I hope to some degree my sermons drive you to do that, but my sermons can't drive you to do that in the same way that the music can. It's that time where we need to come together and praise God and pray to God as a body, in unison, as one group. It's this time of encouragement where we thank God for what's going on in our life. So the first thing that we're going to do here at the church is we're going to encourage you. That's one of our goals, and I hope that you walk out of here encouraged. The second thing he says is he says, There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. I'm sure you really like the first one. You might not like the second one as much. Thrones of Judgment. Now, this is kind of a weird passage, so let me just kind of explain what's going on here. Uh, in Jerusalem was where the judges were. Now, the people of Israel were scattered all over the place. I mean, all over the place. They were in different countries, in different nations, and, and three times a year they would come back up to the temple to Jerusalem. And this is kind of where they would sort out their problems. You would have to wait all year for one of these three different events. And once these events came up, you would come up and you would take your problems, take your issues before a judge, and they would give you direction and guidance. They might even have to give you correction. This is the time that they would do that, and that's kind of what the church serves for today. They're here to give you direction, give you guidance, and as much as we don't like the word, sometimes it's correction. And that's why, to be honest with you, I don't apologize for getting up here and pushing up against some of the tendencies that, that you might have or that the culture tells us we should have. I hope that occasionally you walk out of here convicted or feeling like there was a sense of direction change or correction in your life. That should happen. On the other hand, our goal is never to beat you over the head every single week with biblical truth because you should also walk out of here encouraged most every Sunday. There's a balance here. We want to encourage you, but we also recognize that we need to correct you sometimes. Because here's the thing, we're here to follow Jesus. That is why we're here. That is why we exist as a church. We're here to follow Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then there's going to be times in our life where we need good friends, good teachers, good people in our life who say, hey, you thought you were going this direction, but it looks like you got your beard in me. Let me help you correct your course. And that's what the church exists to do. We're here to encourage and to correct both of those things. Now, both of these things actually serve a specific purpose. He tells us, so I'm going to actually have to back up because I skipped over this point, intentionally to get to those two. Notice verse 4, it says, To which tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, and was decreed for Israel. Jerusalem's a gathering place, first and foremost. That's what it exists for. It exists to gather people together. And so all of these tribes come from all over the world to gather in Jerusalem. 
to gather at the center of worship. And then they would get their encouragement, they would get their correction, they would get the energy and the spiritual fuel that they needed. But notice, the text never says this, but it's implied at some point they all went back home. They went back out to their various places. And that's kind of what the church is, is it not? We all gather here every single Sunday from the various places that we live. Whether it be actually in Carroll, we've got people from all over. We've got people from, Car from different places in Carroll County. We've got people from places outside of Carroll County. We've got people in Rockville City. We've got people in Lake City. We've got some of you in Menora. We've got these people who are gathering from all over Western Iowa, and they're coming here to receive encouragement and correction. But after this service is over, you're all going to go back home. And so the reason we encourage and the reason we correct is because ultimately we're trying to equip you. We're trying to equip you to be godly people, to be Jesus followers where you are. Our goal on Sunday is to fuel you up from Monday through Saturday. So you can follow Jesus where you are when you're there. And that's what, that's what it's talking about here. These festivals serve as a way for these people to come together, to get fueled up, to go back out, and to be the light of the world. And that's what we're called to do. We're here to equip you, to engage the people around you, to be the salt of the earth, to be light. And that's how we measure our success. At the end of the day, if you walk out of here, our success is not measured by hearing, man, the music was really great today. That's great, and we'd love to hear it. But that's not how we're going to measure our success. Our success isn't measured by you, us walking out and hearing, man, the sermon was just so good today, it really spoke to me. That's great, and I'd love to hear that, but that's not how I'm going to measure my success. We measure our success by how well we've done it, fueling you up to be Jesus followers Monday through Saturday. Because that's what the church exists for. We're here to encourage you and correct you so that you can live for Jesus where you are. You can be the light of the world. You can be the salt of the earth. And that's what the psalm is all about. And that's why, um, as a church, uh, it can be really easy for us to fall into this mentality or this idea where we're going to stay here and we're going to call everybody to us. We're going to have special events and we're going to tell everybody they need to come to Sunday service and we're going to just wait for everybody to walk in the doors and come to us. It can be easy to fall into that, but that's not what's described here. That's not what it's talking about. And frankly, if you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, that's not what the church there did either. No, that's not the church that we're going to be. No, the church that the psalm is calling us to be, the church that the Gospels call us to be, that Acts calls us to be, is a church that gathers together so that we can be equipped to go out there. So we can reach people where they are. So we can meet them where they are. We're not telling them to come to us. We're going to them. Because following Jesus is just that important. Because our good news, the good news that we have, that Jesus died and rose again for our sake, is just that important. We're not going to sit around and wait for people to come to us. We are going to go to them. That's what the psalm is calling us to do. Now, that's a lot. That's why the church exists. That's the first part of the love letter, but now he's going to move into a very practical section. I told you right off the get-go that this series was going to be practical, and I'm keeping up on my end of the word here, because... It's going to give us three things that you and I need to start doing. And we can start doing them today. The first thing he's going to tell us to do comes in verse uh, 6. It says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure and loving. 
peace be within your walls and security within your towers. The first thing he's going to tell us to do is pray. So I am going to unapologetically ask you to pray for me. To pray for me as your pastor. To pray for me as a teacher. The truth of the matter is, as I work here, as I try to guide people spiritually, as I try to prepare the sermons, we try to advance our mission as a church, anywhere that the kingdom of God is expanding, Satan is also going to be there, attacking and trying to destroy whatever's happening. So I'm going to need your prayers. Because I'm going to be in a spiritual battle of my own. I'm going to need your prayers for me, for my teaching, to continue to follow God's will for not only my life, but for the church. But I'm not going to just ask you to pray for me. I'm going to ask you to pray for our leaders here, for our elders. If you don't know who the elders are, I'll tell them to you right now. So you can write them down. It's Virgil Sparks. It's Jerry Jansen. It's Art Sweeney. Owen England. Ed Morris. And uh, Mark Miller. Those are our six elders. Pray for them. Pray for them regularly. Put it on your calendar. Pray for them once a week. Maybe it's Sunday morning. Maybe it's Monday morning. Maybe it's Saturday night. Whenever you feel the need to, put it on your calendar and pray for our church. Because as we try and advance the kingdom of God here, we are going to come under attack. That's not a question of if. It's a matter of when. And we need your prayers. And don't just stop there, frankly. Pray for me. Pray for our elders. Pray for our team leaders. The children's ministry, for the youth ministry, for the stewardship team, for the property team, pray for all of those leaders, but also pray for our church family as a whole. Notice what he says here. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He goes on to say, peace be within your walls and security within your towers. Pray that this is a place of peace. Far too frequently, churches become places of conflict, not places of peace. And that's not what we want here. That's not what we stand for. It's not who we are. So pray that we will never become that. Pray instead that we can be a refuge. A place to run to. I've got a few little cousins um, who are just, I, they were really young. They were born when I was in high school. And so uh, I would play around with them when they were younger. And I would chase them and we'd play tag or whatever. And I remember so vividly in my head, I would start chasing them around. And it never failed. Every single time I would chase them, they would run to one spot. It was right in between their parents' legs. Now, they weren't in any danger. It's not like I was going to hurt them. We were just playing tag. I was just chasing them around. But they knew where their place of refuge was. They knew where peace was. They knew where security was. And they would run to that place every single time. So let us be a place of peace and security. Where when life is hitting us hard, we know we can run here. Because this is our place of encouragement and guidance of the Lord. Pray for that. The second thing he's going to ask us to do comes in verse, uh, verse 8. It says, For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. The first thing he asks us to do is pray. The second thing he's going to ask us to do is to encourage each other. Encourage one another. Make it a regular habit to encourage the people around you. And I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about Owen. I'm not talking about the people who are on stage, although we certainly appreciate that. I'm talking about each other. I mean, when you walk in through the doors and you see one of your friends, go over to them, ask them how their week was, and encourage them. Go ask somebody new who you've never met before. 
how their week was, how their life's going, encourage each other. Because that's what we need, and that's ultimately who we are. We are a gathering place. A place where we're trying to come together as a community to follow Jesus, and we can't do that by ourselves. We have to do it together. So encourage one another. Pray for the church and encourage the church. And the third thing he's going to tell us to do is verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The last thing he's going to tell us to do is to serve the church. Now this isn't some desperate plea from a pastor for volunteers. But certainly we do need them and we'll happily take them. The point here is that we need to be serving one another. And sometimes that should be in a formal capacity. Sometimes we need to take a position or a role within the church, and sometimes it's informal. Sometimes it's just being aware of the people around you. Going and taking meals to somebody who's not feeling well, or is in the hospital, or is undergoing a tragedy. Sometimes it's even as simple as what we talked about just a second ago, an encouraging word to somebody who desperately needs it. We need to be serving each other. And I love the way that the Bible talks about serving each other, because it reminds us that serving isn't just a commandment, it's not just an obligation, but it's actually what is best for you. There is fulfillment and satisfaction and joy that comes from serving people out of service to the Lord. And I can tell you personally, some of the best memories of my entire life have come when I'm serving alongside my friends for the sake of the church. I mean, actually, just yesterday, me and the six elders got together and we had a nine-hour meeting, which for most people sounds like out is torture. Like, that is what hell is, is a nine-hour meeting with somebody. But to be honest with you, it was one of my favorite memories since I've been here. I love getting to spend nine hours serving the church with six incredible men. Because there's something that comes, there's a satisfaction that comes, a joy that comes when we serve the church. Especially when we include those around us who we care about. So serve the church for your sake. But that's not actually what the psalmist is saying here. Though the Bible does paint that picture, we need to serve the church for our own sake. He's specific, he's specific here. He doesn't say for your sake. He says, for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will serve you. Don't just do it for your sake. Do it for the sake of those around you. Because those around you need you. Hear me today. You have talent that nobody else has. You have time that nobody else has. And you have treasure that nobody else has. These are kind of the three components of stewardship. Time, talent, and treasure. And those are the things that make you you. And so what God is asking you to do is to give that to the church. Give your time and your talent. Do the thing that you're passionate about. All of you already have something that drives you. Something that you care deeply about. Use that to serve the church. That's what God, that's why God gave it to you in the first place. Use your time and your talent to serve others. The other way that we can serve the church, though, is through our treasure. Or, in other words, through your finances. And the biblical standard for that is 10%. God asks you to give 10% of your income back to Him. Now, the Bible also says God loves a cheerful giver. So maybe you can't start right at 10%, and that's okay. Maybe it's 5%, or 3%, or 2%. Whatever that percent is, start somewhere. Serve the church in that way. And that's that's not because we desperately need your money. It's not because we're in a horrible financial situation. Again, it's for your sake and it's for our sake. So we can advance the mission. 
Now all of this stuff, all of this stuff is important and all of this stuff is great and all of this great to teach and to talk to you about, but we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. The church should be a place of joy, it should be a place of gladness and excitement. The church should be a place of unity where we come together and we have peace within one with each other. It should also be a place of equipping where we're we're here to encourage and equip one another. And so because of that, we should pray, we should encourage, and we should serve the church. But ultimately, all of that comes to a focal point. Because we exist for a very specific reason. And that's because Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took our guilt and our shame, he placed on his shoulders. He died for our loneliness, for our depression, for the old way of life that we used to live. And he was raised again so that we could have a new life. That's the good news that we carry. And as a church, we exist to share that good news with anyone who will listen. And that's my encouragement for you today, is to share that with anybody who will listen. We want to be the church. That means being a place of gladness, of excitement, of joy. We want to be the church. That means being a place of unity, where we're working together always. We want to be the church, that means being a place where we are constantly seeking Jesus through encouragement, through correction. We want to be the church. And that means that above all, we are working to connect people to Jesus. Why? Because we've already gotten to experience that good news. Because at some point in your life, Jesus came and got you. He said he loved you so much. He cares for you so much that he died in your place. And he gave you a new life. And if you're sitting here today and you're a member, you've experienced that. You know that. You have that story. What Jesus is calling us to do as a church is not to keep that story to ourselves, but to share it with the world. Because Jesus is coming for your neighbor. He's coming for that family member. He's coming for your friends, for your co-workers. To everybody that you meet, Jesus is chasing after them. And as the church, it is our mission to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to go after those people. So Carol Church of Christ, let's be the church. And if you're here today and you're not a part of Carol Church of Christ yet and you want to join us in that mission, we're going to have time of invitation. I'm going to be right here. If you want to make Carol Church of Christ your church home, if you're excited and you're passionate about that mission, you want to proclaim good news to Carol, to Carol County, to, to anyone who will listen to you, then we want you to be a member here. Come talk to me about what that looks like. Or if you're here, and you haven't even accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, and maybe you want to hear more about what that means, or maybe you're ready to accept him today, I'm going to be right here, and I want to have that conversation with you. I'm going to talk to you about what those next steps look like. Oh, and the team are going to lead us in another song. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Our hope, our joy, our peace. Lord, I pray that we would be a church who fixes our eyes on you. Who in everything we do works to shine your light to the world. God, help us to be the church that you have called us to be. God, correct us where we need correction. And encourage us 
because we have the possibility of being light in a dark, dark world. And we don't need reminded how dark the world is. We already know. But remind us of how bright your light is and how we can work to shine it to a world so desperately needs it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.